Good morning. It is great to be with you, to be able to worship together with you. Today is a special day. Uh, Today begins Holy Week throughout the world. And uh, I don't know if you uh, celebrated um, Palm Sunday, um, especially when I, at least when I was a child, they would give you a palm branch on Palm Sunday, which is what today is the beginning of Holy Week. I don't know whose idea that was to give nine and 10 year old boys palm branches, but if you got whacked in the face, you sort of had it coming because you, you did it, you know, you gave it out. Um, but today as we, we were looking at uh, the idea, not, not, not that we're looking at Palm Sunday, but today is Palm Sunday and we're moving forward toward, um, uh, toward Good Friday and toward Easter. Um, I wanted to, uh, to look at, in this series that we're doing called The Real Jesus, this idea of Jesus as the Lamb. We've been looking at who Jesus really is, and, and one of the names that we have of Jesus in Scripture is the Lamb of God. And so I, I just wanted us to look at that. You might be wondering, how does all of this apply to you specifically or, or to us as the church? And I would really like to not only give us a little of the history behind it, but also the, the, the impact that it has on on us as the church. So I want to start by going back 18 centuries uh, before Jesus came on the scene to a man named Abraham. And Abraham uh, was a man that God uh, promised him that he would make him the father of many nations. And Abraham uh, was told by God that your descendants will be as numerous as the sand on the sea shore, and your your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so God made this promise to him, and the problem is that Abraham, you know, he's 40, he's 50, he's 60, still no children from his wife Sarah, 70, 80, 90. Abraham is 100 years old, and his wife Sarah is a spry, 90 years old, and God answers that prayer or that promise that he made to Abraham and provided a son whose name was Isaac. Talk about having old parents when you're a kid. That would be tough. Bible scholars tell us that when Isaac was somewhere between 18 and 37 years old, that God spoke to Abraham and said to Abraham, "Uh, listen, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. Now, we've got to put these things together in our minds because, God, you told me that you were going to make me the father of many nations. I have one child, one son, and now you want me to sacrifice him. You said that my my, um, offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. I have one son. If I sacrifice him, how could that be possible? And yet, Abraham said, okay, we're, we're going to do it. And so he said, Isaac, we're going to go make a sacrifice to God. And so we're going to go out to the mountain that God has, has designated for us, and we're going to do that. And Isaac was no dummy. 
Isaac said, you know, I see that we have something to make a fire. We've got wood. You know, we've got what we need, except we don't have anything for the sacrifice. In other words, there, there was no, no lamb or no goat or no bull or anything like that. There was nothing to sacrifice. And his dad's answer was a classic dad answer. And that is, God will provide. You know, when our kids ask us a question and it's a, it's a legitimate question and we don't want to give them the answer, what do we say? Because I said so. You know, that was sort of like Abraham's answer um, to Isaac. And, and so they get to the place where, where God wants them to do the sacrifice and they, they, build, they build an altar. And what they would do is take stones and they would pile the stones in a way that they could then put the wood on them. And then you put the sacrifice on top of the wood. You light the wood and it burns and it's called an altar. It's a place where sacrifice takes place. And so um, as I'm, I'm reading this and I'm thinking about Abraham and Isaac, if, if the scholars are right and Isaac is not like an eight-year-old, like I think we often envision him to be, if he is a young man or a man, maybe, maybe his son is like my son Isaac and he's, you know, maybe Isaac's a lot bigger than Abraham. And, and let's say that, that Isaac is 20 Abraham would be 120. And if Isaac is not on board with this, there's nothing Abraham can do <laughs> to chase down a 20-year-old guy, okay? Or to somehow strong-arm him into tying him up. But the scripture says that Abraham, Abraham tied him up, put him on uh, the altar. So obviously Isaac understood what was happening and the Bible says that Abraham raised his knife and he was basically coming down to, to, to make the sacrifice. He was going to kill his son. And the Lord stopped him and said, Abraham, don't do it. Do not sacrifice him. I know now that you, you will not hold anything back from me, that, that I can trust you to fulfill this promise. And the Bible says that that Abraham and Isaac saw nearby them a ram caught in the thicket. And so I'm sure Abraham quickly untied Isaac and said, hey, go get the ram. And they, they got the ram and they sacrificed the ram there on that altar, on the wood that they had prepared. And, and we look and we see in Genesis chapter 22, I want you to see um, Abraham's response, 22:14 of Genesis. He said, so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. You see, the ram took the place of Isaac. He was going to sacrifice Isaac. God said, don't do it. The ram was there. God provided. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. For some of us in our lives, we need to speak those words over our lives. The Lord will provide. Because of our situation, because of our circumstance, maybe it's a, a relative, a family member, maybe it's a spouse, uh, but we need to speak over our, our lives. The Lord will provide. I grew up in, in the 70s and early 80s in the church, and we sang everything in E minor. Not everything, but we sang plenty of songs in E minor. Um, Jehovah Jireh was the name of one of the songs. The Hebrew meaning for the Lord will provide is Jehovah Jireh. 
So that's what Abraham spoke. He said, the Lord is my provider. He will provide. And so um, we, we, we see that coming up here on Good Friday, we see now that Jesus, we're celebrating his crucifixion. The scripture calls Jesus, particularly John the Baptist did it. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we have this, we have this, um, this identification throughout scripture of Jesus as the lamb. And I want us to look at that. And I want to start with looking at number one, the Passover lamb. You see, Isaac was the picture of God providing the lamb. Now, 430 years after Abraham was a man named Moses who led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They were in bondage there, and God wanted to set them free. And Pharaoh needed some convincing. And so God sent 10 plagues on the people of Egypt in order to get Pharaoh to let them go because they provided slave labor for Egypt. Well, on the 10th plague, the plague was that the firstborn of every person and every animal would die. And God told Moses, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a one-year-old lamb without blemish, without defect, and I want you to sacrifice it. And I want you to make sure that after you kill it, that you eat it and eat all of it. So this is an extended family that's eating together. And I want you to take the blood from that animal and I want you to, to wipe it on the side and top of your door as, uh, to your front door so that when I send the death angel through the land of Egypt, your, your family or whoever lives in that house, they will not die. The death angel was to pass over that dwelling. That's how we get the, the idea of Passover. That's what it means. I want you to look at Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So no one died when the blood was applied to the doorposts. The Passover lamb was a lamb that had to be without defect. It had to be without blemish. It couldn't have a disease. It couldn't be uh, stunted in its growth. It had to literally, it would be the, considered the best that you possibly could have, that you could grow. It needed to, in essence, be perfect. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 21, the Apostle Paul says this, that God made him who, knew, who had no sin to be sin for us. In other words, Paul is saying Jesus, who, who did not have any sin, he did not sin, he was sinless. God made him to be sin for you and for me. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That we might have right standing 
before God. The blood of the Passover lamb was literally, it, it saved the individual. And what, what Paul is saying is that Jesus, our Passover lamb, his blood allows you and I to be saved. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. That perfect sacrifice of Jesus who knew no sin, who died in our place and became sin for us, provided forgiveness. It provides for us that God in his judgment will pass over us because of the blood of the lamb that is applied to us. Secondly, I want to look at the fact that, that there's required blood. Now, animal sacrifice goes back all the way to the Garden of Eden. We don't necessarily always remember that or think that. But when Adam and Eve sinned and God met them in the garden, remember what they were doing when God found them. They were hiding. God said, what's the problem here? And they said, well, we realized we were naked. And God says, who told you you were naked? Well, God realized that they sinned. They ate of the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they realized what, what right and wrong really were. They, thought th they saw that they were naked for the first time. What did God do? God sacrificed. He killed some animals and he took their hide, their fur, and he created a covering for their nakedness. Jesus is God's sacrifice. God sacrificed his son as a covering for what is not nakedness, but it is sin. And, and the, the, in the garden, that covering for their nakedness was the realization that they had sinned. God provided his son, Jesus Christ. So literally, the Garden of Eden is just a picture of, of God's plan of salvation. Look at Leviticus chapter uh, 17, verse 11. It says, for the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. The word atonement, if you break it down, it means at one meant. At one meant. Atonement is being at one with God. God provided the blood of Jesus Christ so that we could be at one with him. Blood is required. The problem is that in the Old Testament sacrificial system, the blood was a temporary solution. Now, you don't look in, in the Old Testament, you, you're not going to do a search of the word temporary. You're not going to find the word temporary. Do you know what I mean? It's not going to say that it is temporary, but let me explain it this way. Is that it had to happen again and again, and again. Now, let's fast forward to the day of, uh, uh, to the life of Jesus, and let's fast forward to the, the, um, the season in which Jesus was alive, but almost ready to go to the cross, and it was the Passover season. 
Okay, we know that, that on, on this day we celebrate Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into the city. They were literally prepared to, uh, to, to take him by force and make him king. And that, that they were, it was leading up to Passover, okay, which was coming, the celebration of what God did, delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt. And on that Passover celebration, there would be Bible scholars tell us as many as 2 million extra people in the city of Jerusalem. Now, I don't, I don't have, uh, Jerusalem was not, it wasn't massive in, in, in terms of today's um, cities, but, but if a city is a, is a million strong and you add two more million to it, that city's going to have a problem holding that. Well, Jerusalem was far, far, far smaller than a million people. And so all of these additional people stressed the whole, the whole infrastructure of Jerusalem. I can imagine that you literally could not move around. And each of these people, their family had to offer a Passover lamb. Now, they might raise their own. And so they would be bringing those lambs into uh, the city or they might buy one that was offered for sale there. And interestingly enough, the lambs that were grown for Passover were grown in and around the city of Bethlehem. The angels appeared to the shepherds when Jesus was born and it was those same shepherds those, that's those same families raising sheep in, those, in that community of Bethlehem where the Passover lamb came. In fact, they were raising Passover lambs even then when the angels announced the Passover lamb to them. I think that's amazing. But this was such an incredible event. The week or the day of Passover, 20,000 lambs would be sacrificed. This was such an incredible feat and an incredible spectacle that Pontius Pilate um, had made for himself just outside the walls of, the, of the, the temple, the temple courtyard, a very high, um, basically a, a, a box seat from which he could watch all of these lambs being um, being sacrificed in such a short period of time. Those people that were there, they, they brought those, those uh, lambs to be sacrificed by the priests. And we think of a lamb as, you know, we're like this, right? It's kind of like a lap dog, you know, real tiny and brand new. And, you know, that's, are you with me? Don't we think of that? A one-year-old lamb could weigh like 115 plus pounds, okay? So you're not carrying it like this, you're dragging it like this, okay? You probably got a rope around its neck and, and you're, you're trying to get it in line. And so you have this, I mean, these are big animals. And so they were to be sacrificed and the priests, when they would sacrifice them, they would, they would capture the blood in some sort of a, a, a bowl or a cup or something like that, the person who had the lamb that was sacrificed, they would have to take that lamb back to their family and they would have to cook it and eat it, all of it. They couldn't leave any, anything remaining. 
So that blood then was taken up to the altar there at the temple, and it was thrown onto the altar. 20,000, the blood from 20,000 lambs that are over 100 pounds each, that's a lot of blood. It was so much that they had to build a sewer system that could take the blood out of the temple. I didn't say this in the first service, but I actually found that, that it, it drained it into the Dead, into the dead Sea. That's, that's I mean, that, we, we, we don't like to think of stuff like that, but, um, but that was the reality. So they had this sewer system that was installed there. It was so much blood. Hebrews 9.22. I want you to look at this verse in light of what we're learning about the Passover. And he says, that the writer of Hebrews says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So sin and death enter the world by Adam. We know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that the wages of that sin is death. And so innocent blood must be spilt. That's the way forgiveness comes. The problem with the Old Testament is that it was something that was only temporary because the next year at Passover, 20,000 more lambs would be sacrificed. In fact, tonight in, in the temple in the evening, you would sacrifice a lamb. Tomorrow morning, the priest would sacrifice a lamb. That evening, he would sacrifice a lamb. And so on, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. The forgiveness that the blood of those lambs provided was merely temporary. The law was powerless to permanently forgive sin. God had a plan, and his plan was to provide forgiveness, but to point toward his son, Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, in him, meaning Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. God redeemed us. We, we were, we, we're sinful we were, we, were, we were ready for death, but God has redeemed us. He's bought us back. He's ransomed us through the blood of his son Jesus, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Now, the thing about Jesus that the Bible tells us is that Jesus' blood was shed once for all. In the Old Testament structure, on Passover, the blood of a lamb was shed for one family. It was not for all. One family, and it had to be done year after year after year. You see the picture that God paints, and yet he takes it to the new place. Jesus, the Lamb of God, died once and shed his blood for the sins of all. Next, I want you to know that the blood of from the Lamb of God, it helps to overcome the enemy. Growing up, one of the songs that we used to sing in church was called Power in the Blood. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. And it's, it's kind of a, 
It's kind of a, it just got a rockabilly thing to it. It's just one of my favorite songs. And I, I'm, I know I sing loud. I, that's me. But as, a, as, a, as a, even a teenage kid, man, I would sing to the top of my lungs. There is power in the blood, in the precious blood of the Lamb. I love verse number three. Would you or evil of victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. So not only does the blood of Jesus have the ability to forgive, but it also has a power to it, a power to win victory. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, the first part of that, the, the John, um, the apostle who writes Revelation, he said, they, meaning the saints of God, triumphed over him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The blood of Jesus provides the power to overcome the enemy. Number four, it gives us access to the throne. In Leviticus 16, Moses outlines what needs to happen on the day of atonement. The high priest, he said, needs to go into the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is a place where the physical manifest presence of God exists on the um, on the Ark of the Covenant between the two angels that are on that cover with their wings stretched out. It's, it's all in gold and there's a cloud that exists there and that's the manifest presence of God. And the high priest was instructed to go in once a year on the Day of Atonement to make sacrifice for sins of the people of Israel. And so the first thing he had to do was sacrifice for his own sin. Otherwise, he could not go in to the Holy of Holies. So he would sacrifice for himself. He would go in and then he would sacrifice for the sins of the people of Israel. This was the means of the people of Israel to receive God's grace. And it was the blood of the lamb that would allow them into the, 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 the high priest, into the Holy of Holies. This is hard for you and I to, to imagine. But the, the, the high priest, when he went into the Holy of Holies, would wear a rope around his waist. And the rope wasn't just around his waist, but it was a long rope. And, and they would hold on to that rope outside the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was basically a room created by a 12-inch thick curtain. And he would go in there and make sacrifice. But if he and, and around the hem of his garment, there were, there were decorations that would make noise. And when he would be inside the Holy of Holies, they could hear him working. And they knew everything was all right. But if the sound of, of the, that, that noise on his priestly garment, if it stopped making noise and the, and the rope stopped moving, they would know that, that he had died because somehow he didn't do something right coming into the Holy of Holies. Because if, if you go into the Holy of Holies and you have sin, you cannot survive. So they would pull his body out. But you and I, because of the blood of Jesus, we have access. In fact, the Bible tells us that we don't have to be afraid. 
We don't have to be afraid. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, we can be confident that we can go into the very presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 4:16, then let us approach the throne, God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may find or may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's through Jesus and his blood that we have access and we can even be confident as we come to him because of the blood of Jesus. There's no mediator, the Bible says, between God and man except Jesus. And what has Jesus done? He's provided us the way into God's presence through his blood. And finally, the Bible talks about the Lamb's book and our reservation in that book. Just a a couple weeks ago, I had convinced my wife to let me take her out for a nice dinner. Someone had given us a, a really nice gift card, and I said, honey, let's, let's go out for dinner. I, you know, it's been, it's been a weird season, and we haven't done much in restaurants, and, but I said, let's go out. And so for a, a, at least a week or two, I was making phone calls trying to get into this restaurant and get a reservation, and no one would answer the phone. And I, and I started to get a little put off. I, I'll just be honest, I, you know, at first I thought, well, it was 11 o'clock when they called and maybe they're not open for lunch right now, you know. Uh, but I kept calling, I got nothing. And then one of my kids said, you know what, um, I think you have to go online for a reservation. So I went to their website and sure enough, you had to make a reservation online. They, they're not answering their phone. And so I, I make this reservation and it, you know, it asks for your name, it asks for your email address, it asks for your mother's maiden name, you know, the last four digits of your social and, and, and it just, I mean, it was really pretty involved. And, and as soon as I made it, they sent me a message asking me to confirm that I had just made the reservation. This thing took me 10 minutes to make, and now you want to know if I was serious. Of course I'm serious. You know, I've been try- Don't you know I've been calling you people, and, and, and you're not answering my phone calls? Well, th- they probably sent me a half dozen reminders about our reservation. So when we got there, we walk in, the first person that we see, and the only question they wanted to know was, do you have a reservation? Yes, we do. They pointed us to someone else. The person said, do you have a reservation? Yes, we do. Kevin and Veronica Taylor. They said, right this way to your table. They were 100% prepared for our arrival. And we, we, uh, we had a server, we had a table, we had menus. You know, we had everything that we needed. We had a wonderful evening. Why? Because we had reservation. If you walked in and said, I do not have a reservation, or if you said yes and, you, and they didn't have your reservation in their system, you weren't getting in to that table. You were not going to be able to have that meal. That is the picture of of how we gain entrance into heaven. That our name needs to be in Jesus' book, the book of the Lamb. 
in in uh, Paul mentions it once. Uh, the Apostle John in Revelation mentions it six different times. Revelation 21, 27. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, the Bible says in Revelation, will have entrance into heaven. So we have this idea of the Lamb of God. You, and, and maybe you've never thought about it before, ever before, but I want you to know that it is a thread that goes from Genesis to Revelation. And it is God pointing the way to Jesus and what Jesus did for us. He's the Lamb of God. And I want you to know that, that Jesus and what he has done for us the, the, he is the Lord will provide. He is what God has provided. He's Jehovah Jireh. And, and you might need Jehovah Jireh, my provider, to be spoken over your life. It might need to be spoken over uh, your finances. It might need to be spoken over fear in your family. It might need to be spoken over relationships in your life. But Jehovah Jireh, my provider, you can speak that over your life. You might need that to be, to be spoken over your own spiritual life. And you say, you know what, I, I, I desire access into the presence of God. I desire God to have access in his presence, to have access over my entire family. I want to speak that over my life. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. He gives us access to the very presence of God. Through him, we have entrance into heaven. Through him, we overcome the enemy. He is the Passover Lamb. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Father, I thank you for your word and how from Genesis to Revelation we see the Lamb of God being, being the idea of it um, being prepared in our minds to see. Literally from the Garden of Eden through the book of Revelation we see it time and time again. And Father, I want to say thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you for the Lamb of God coming into the world. Thank you for that sacrifice. Thank you that he that knew no sin became sin for me so that I might be able to gain access to your presence. And Father, today, as we're gathered in this place, I'm aware that there may be some that need to have you speak Jehovah Jireh over their family. My provider, the Lord will provide. Friends, I don't know what it is this morning that you need God to provide for you, but you know this, that you need God as your provider today. Whether it's to provide forgiveness, whether it is to provide healing, whether it is to provide some sort of restoration to your circumstance, whatever that is, he is here to do that today. Say, Kevin, I, I just, I want God to speak that over me. 
Would you pray for me this morning? If that's you, just slip your hand up as we close in prayer so that I can include you. Yes, yes. Thank you for those. Yes, thank you for those hands. You can put them down. Father, I thank you today. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to be the Lamb of God. That through him that that we can overcome the enemy of our soul. I thank you that through Jesus you have provided. Your word says your grace is enough for us. You've provided that for us. And so these that have raised their hands today, Lord, whatever it is, I just want to speak over them. And I pray that you would speak over them today. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. God, provide what they need today. Father, I thank you that no matter what it is, you provide. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need to pray with someone this morning or at some point here in the near future, I just want to invite you to reach out to us here, uh, whether it's through a prayer request email at the church or even just uh, come up to me here after the service, but I would be more than happy to pray with you. It's great to be with you today. Thank you for braving uh, the snow today and the slippery roads. I appreciate it very much. I'm looking forward to Easter Sunday. It's going to be a great celebration together. Next Sunday, be sure to invite a friend. Uh, It's great to be with you. Thank you and God bless you. Uh, We will see you very soon.